to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Welcome to the second episode of our TSRA Clinical Scenarios podcast. This series is focused on discussing actual cases that you might encounter on the wards, and it's also an audio companion to the TSRA Clinical Scenarios publication. Today, we will be discussing a few congenital topics. We have Dr. Matthew Stone, who is a congenital cardiac faculty at the Children's Hospital of Colorado. And we also have Neil Vernardos, who is a congenital cardiac surgery fellow from the University of Colorado. Thanks so much, Neil and Matt, for taking the time today, and I'll let you guys take it away. Great. Uh, the first patient is a four-month-old female that a pediatric cardiologist sends to you with a postnatal diagnosis of a ventricular septal defect um, that was incidentally found after uh, a murmur on physical exam uh, and subsequent echo. Okay, um, I guess I'd start with a history of present illness from the patient's parents and a physical exam. Okay, the parents say that the child has uh, been active but has been slow uh, with growth, has been tolerating feeds, but has um, recently stopped feeding as well. Um, they've noticed some increased uh, breathing with activity and just feel that the child isn't quite what they used to be. Uh, the growth curve is just under the third percentile. Okay, um, anything on physical exam? No significant physical exam findings uh, apart from the murmur. It has a split S2 and no other significant findings, maybe a little edematous. Okay, I guess I'd move ahead to simple laboratory workups, a chest x-ray and an echocardiogram. Okay, labs are fine. Um, and an EKG, sorry. Yeah, labs are fine. Uh, EKG shows um, sinus rhythm. Uh, the axis is, uh, conduction axis is normal. Echo shows a VSD in the perimembranous region. Uh, it's about eight millimeters in diameter. Uh, the cardiologist and uh, sonographer tell you that the velocity is about two meters per second. There's uh, some muscular extension. Uh, the aortic valve looks fine. Um, there's mild tricuspid regurgitation and good biventricular function. You know, assuming the kid has no other major medical counsel appearance that. Uh... You know, it sounds like the child's getting symptomatic from this VST. You know, it's a lar it's large enough VST at eight millimeters that I'd recommend repair um, at this time for the child. Okay, what are some other findings on the echo that would uh, push you maybe to wait on the VST? Yeah, I think if they told me that there were for sure multiple VSDs, um, if they were in a difficult location, I thought that I would have trouble fixing them operatively seeing them in the operating room. Um, one option would be to put the, the kid on medical therapy and try to grow the child, um, treat the heart failure symptoms, get them back in the growth curve and see if I could postpone things to where the child was larger. Okay, good. So what region of the septum would you say that you most commonly see multiple VSDs that would be kind of hard to get to? Probably muscular, um, the muscular region, either anterior posterior muscular, particularly hard to get to. Um, particularly as you get down towards the tips of the heart, they can be harder to see, especially from um, the right side of the heart through the right atrium. I think they're pretty hard to identify them all and fix them all appropriately. You know, you suture one and 
you end up with a loop from them. Okay, and so if the they told you on echo that the perimembranous defect is two millimeters in diameter, the velocity is 4.5 meters per second, the right heart looks fine. Does that push you in one direction or the other? Yeah, if it's, I mean, I think if it was a pressure restrictive, which it sounds like VS, you know, VST, I may try to, to recommend that, you know, this could actually get better over time, especially given his age. Um, that small, like a two millimeters, pretty small VST, and I might recommend trying some medical therapy and watching his echocardiogram for a while. Okay. So if you have a small VSD and they tell you it's uh, in the outlet region, so it's about three millimeters in diameter, right heart looks fine. They don't anticipate there being a significant shunt, but there's mild aortic valve insufficiency. Yeah, so actually in that instance, if there, if there is evidence of aortic valve insufficiency, I'd recommend repair okay. at that time to avoid the problems with the aortic valve. Okay, great. Um, so we'll take a step back and start with our original kid with uh, perimembranous VSD. Um, you and your cardiologists agree that you should take him to the OR. They start him on some diuretics to get him optimized. Uh, he comes in for a repair. Walk me through how you're going to do the operation. Yeah, so um, I'd approach this through a, a median sternotomy. Um, the, the child would have a radial uh, wrist arterial line and a central line. Um, breathing tube, obviously. So I do immediate sternotomy and I um, cannulate the aorta, cannulate the right atrium, and then um, convert over to bicable cannulation. And I would give uh, endoplegia and um, you know, do a little group. And then once that was done, I um, take down my snares around the cable and approach this to the right atrium. Okay. Now you're looking at the defect through the tricuspid valve. Um, you have a lot of blood in your face. Most of it coming from the left side of the heart. Yeah, so I mean, typically also would place a vent. Um, if they have a PFO, I'll put the vent through um, the PFO. If there's not a PFO, I probably make a small PFO and then insert a, a left-sided vent. Okay. All right. So you visualize a perimembranous BSD as build on echo. You choose to use a Gore-Tex patch. Um, so your patch in place. What are some landmarks that you're thinking about as you sew your patch in place uh, to prevent any post-operative complications? Yeah, so um, you want to put your patch on the RV side of the septum um, to avoid the conduction. And you know, clearly, when you're um, putting your sutures in towards the um, triangle uh, coat, you want to stay um, away from the conduction in that area too. So you don't want to get too far into the um, Annulus of the tricuspid valve in that region. If you get if you get off the annulus of the tricuspid valve, you can also ding the AV node or AV node conduction or the his bundle in the septum. So, I think particularly inferiorly, as you're going around the inferior edge of the VSD, this can be particularly important for perimembranous defects. Conduction is critical. I think the second thing you want to remember is, or at least I want to remember, is to avoid damaging the tricuspid valve by trapping cords or trapping the tissue within your sutures and um, tying that down into your patch because that can cause significant tricuspid regurgitation. Okay. All right. Oh, sorry. Lastly, um, up at the kind of superior and leftward margin of the defect, you can also actually uh, affect the aortic valve. You can um, injure the aortic valve with the suture suture. So you have to be really careful up there too. Okay. So you sew your patch in and you're, you're probing around, uh, make sure you're happy with your repair and you actually find that there's uh, an inlet defect 
um, just adjacent to your patch um, that was unexpected. And there's a muscle bundle that courses between the two defects. How would you approach that? Well, if the muscle bundle is big enough, um, I'd actually probably sew that with a separate patch, understanding that the muscle bundle in reality could contain the con conduction system. So you might actually want to patch over that entire muscle bundle without including any sutures, or otherwise you might have a conduct, you might have heart block on it. Okay, great. Um, I think from the standpoint of uh, this scenario, we covered uh, a lot um, intraoperatively. Um, when you're coming off pump, um, cardiologist tells you that uh, function looks good. Um, you have a little bit of a residual on the base of your patch and uh, they estimate it to be about three millimeters in diameter. Uh, velocity is about two and a half meters per second. What are some things that you can do to determine if you need to go back on and fix the residual? Yeah, so I think that's a tough scenario. Three millimeters is about right on the cusp of being large enough to go back on pump four, and uh, I'd probably draw gases at that point and actually calculate a shunt. Okay, so how would you calculate a shunt? Um, I'd take a gas from the PA and the SVC, and uh, they would draw an arterial blood gas, and uh, it's the difference in the arterial saturations over the pulmonary saturations. You, assume, you can assume 100% from the veins, or you can actually draw it second. Okay, so aortic saturation minus the SVC saturation for the pulmonary veins minus the pulmonary arterial saturation. Okay, great. So what, what shunt fraction would push you towards repairing it? Um, I think anything up, uh, if it's one or over, I, I think if it's over one, I'd probably consider repairing it. Okay. All right. Um, so, and I guess just to recap, you did a great job working up the patient. Um, I wouldn't really add anything. Um, I think for the purposes of um, kind of talking through um, the workup, you covered your bases. Um, the echo is really all that you need for the anatomic definition. Um, X-ray will provide you some information on preoperative optimization. Um, and so all of those things um, you touched on well. Um, you did a physical exam, which is um, obviously um, important. And um, moving to the operative scenario, you did uh, a nice job walking through the steps of the operation. Um, anytime that you approach a case like this, I just kind of take myself back to how you do it every day and um, just walk yourself through the steps of getting on pump, myocardial preservation, um, venting the heart, and then uh, going through the critical steps. Um, the VSD was a standard repair. Talked through that well. Um, you did a nice job recognizing the conduction system. Um, and one of the things, um, kind of a more advanced topic, is the conduction system being between the inlet and the perimembranous defect. And so that was the right thing to do to, to patch uh, the inlet defect separately. Um, I think one thing that we we didn't touch on that can often come up is um, how to counsel families preoperatively. So familiarizing yourself with a lot of the risk factors that we talked about intraoperatively, but mentioning those to families mm -hmm. preoperatively is is critical and, and one of those things that will often come up uh, when you're seeing patients or uh, on examinations. Um, shunt fraction, um, I think that's something that you'll commonly uh, encounter um, with any shunts um, and something that the cath lab does every day. So being familiar with that equation is important. 
Um, and uh, I think that's pretty good. We can move on to a second patient. So you have a, now a three-year-old uh, that comes in, otherwise pretty healthy. Uh, the parents have had noticed that um, she'd had some upper respiratory infections and had really decreased kind of her activity um, on the playground with her friends and went into her cardiologist and cardiologist noted that um, the child had a murmur, um, which led to a follow-up echocardiogram. And um, the cardiologist sends her to you telling her that she has an atrial septal defect. And uh, how many kilos is she? She's 10 kilos. Okay, so I, I do the same thing. I get a history and physical from the parents, and history from the parents and physical physical exam. Okay, so um, much of the history I've given you, the physical exams relatively unremarkable. Um, no significant findings apart from a split S two. Um, no edema. Kids run around the room. Seems okay. Um, cardiologist uh, just wants to review the echo with you. Okay. So I'd recommend an echocardiogram. Okay, so the echocardiogram shows a, a few interesting findings. They um, show a normal um, uh, cardiac development, uh, good biventricular function. There is some right heart enlargement and there's a defect in the superior portion of the atrial septum. Cardiologist says he had a little bit of difficulty seeing um, her pulmonary veins. Um, saw some left-sided veins. He was confident, but had trouble seeing the right-sided veins and um, wants to know what your thoughts are about closing the defect. Yeah, I mean, I think this kid with the, with the defect in that location, I was worried about partial malnutrition return. Okay, so what would you call a defect in the superior sinusitis? Sinusitis, right, good. And uh, I'd probably recommend a CTA. Okay. And I discussed with the parents, you know, the need for mediation in this case because we don't want to leave those veins behind and patch the ASD, the patch of the ASD without clearing that as well. Okay. So when you order a CTA, are you gonna to talk to them about venous phase contrast? Yes. Or yes. you want you want to phase phase it for the pulmonary veins. Okay. Good. All right. So you get the CTA and sure enough she has a right upper vein that comes into her mid-SVC around the level of her asgus and a right middle of vein that comes into the SVC right atrial junction. Otherwise normal venous anatomy, no left SVC. Okay. And um, how far up is her asgus? I guess I don't know on the CAT scan. Yeah, it's about probably probably five five millimeters. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the uh, size of the AST? The AST is sizable. Um, they had a little bit of difficulty seeing the posterior rim, but um, they say that it's approximately the size of the SVC. Okay. So um, at this point, I'd, um, since given the patient has signs of right heart enlargement, I'd, I'd recommend repair at this time. Okay. And um, I counsel the parents that um, we're looking at doing um, ASD repair and also repair of. Uh, partial, the partial mom's veins. And um, since the one of the veins is up at the level of the azagus, I, I probably would counsel them that um, we're looking at a warden procedure. Um, even though this is not a guaranteed approach based on the anatomy, I'd probably make that final decision in the operating room, but I'd probably go through all the risks of both a simple baffle repair of the defect and also a warden procedure. Okay, so 
Um, they agree, cardiologist agrees, kids optimize preoperatively, take them to the operating room, standard median sternotomy approach, you're bicapally cannulated, you give anagrade cardioplegia, you open the right atrium, and in doing so, you see a large uh, sinus spinosis defect as anticipated, and you see a right upper vein and a right middle vein that come in just adjacent uh, to the azagus, and the azagus is um, about five millimeters as built from the CT, um, just above the cavoatrial junction. I mean, I guess in these cases, I'd also try to, I mean, this is assuming I fully dissected along the right SVC to determine where the veins come in and that they are, in fact, you know, where each is going and fully delineated all the, which, which are veins, which one's the azagus, and where the location are. All right, so how are you going to define? So you're having a little bit of trouble figuring out which is the right upper pulmonary vein versus the azagus. So what are some anatomic things that you can think about over that? Well, I think the azagus often enters posteriorly. Um, so it'll be more posterior. The pulmonary veins tend to come in lateral. That's okay. one thing. And then also you can evaluate the character of the blood coming into it. Okay, good. So how are you going to fix this? Five millimeters isn't very far mm -hmm. in my mind. Five millimeters is this far above the right atrial um, cable junction. So um, I think the way I fix this is with a baffle. Um, assuming that my baffle is not going to lead to obstruction of the SBC. Um, so I'd, um, I'd harvest the autologous pericardial patch and I'd baffle over the veins, um, baffling the veins back into the um, sinus venosis to ASD defect. And okay. then I'd uh, close up and get it back in. All right, sounds good. So you close the defect, you baffle the veins over the left atrium. You come off bypass, you're in sinus rhythm, heart looks fine, um, saturations are, are okay, but the anesthesiologist tells you that the CVP is 23 and uh, you're concerned about um, your SVC. Okay. Well, if there's any question about that, then I would um, recommend uh, a board procedure. And to do that, I would um, detach the SVC above where the veins come in over so the stump and um, go ahead and assuming the right atrial appendage can reach up without tension, I didn't estimate the right atrial appendage to SBC. Okay, good. So, so you do you do a warden procedure and in doing so you realize that what you thought was the was the azagus was actually an accessory upper lobe vein and the azagus was much higher than than uh, anticipated. And um, so you leave that on the SVC and do a standard warden procedure as you as you've described. You come up bypass. You're in sinus rhythm. You have a much lower CVP. Um, echo is favorable. Uh, good venous return over to the left side. Uh, no no shunt. So um, <clears throat> I think you did all the right things um, with this scenario um, in approaching it and asking. Uh, anatomic details. Um, one additional anatomic um, thing to think about is the position of the pulmonary artery in relation to the azagus um, and uh, with the azagus being superior to the to the PA. Um, you can oftentimes have um, some upper lobe veins that come in a, a bit more posteriorly and that anatomy can be challenging, but um, I would have done the same thing that you did with uh, entry level and, you know, just five millimeters above the cable atrial junction, which is uh, where we often see these in, in children. 
um, as opposed to much later in life when there's a right upper low vein into the very high SVC, even though that can be present obviously in, in children as well. Um, the size of the sinus venosis defect was a, a good question. Um, the um, decision whether to enlarge it. Um, I know that you know we've done a couple of cases together where we've actually had to make an atrial septal defect in these children, and so um, you know the making sure that that connection is as large, at least as the SVC, um, if not larger, um, as that can be a source of obstruction to your veins, and then creating a very redundant patch. I think is um, when you're thinking about this repair um, and you know the, the problem with creating redundant patch obviously with the baffle technique is that you can create SVC obstruction so being mindful of that um, knowing what um, your saturations are coming off pump um, is very helpful in making sure that you have all your deoxygenated blood on the on the right side as you can baffle the cava over to the left side so if you come off pump and you're severely hypoxic um, that's one thing to think about um, otherwise, I, I think you touched all the important points um, and did a nice uh, progression of, you know, your thought pattern leading up to the operation itself. Okay, um, move on to the third scenario. Um, you now have a six-month-old uh, with Down syndrome that um, comes to you with uh, failure to thrive, um, has been on about a half a liter of oxygen since being in the hospital after birth, um, is being followed by a cardiologist for you know, some mild pulmonary hypertension, and on echocardiogram is noted to have um, a uh, septum primum uh, atrial septal defect. And uh, I'll let you take it from there. Uh, I guess I'll start with the same thing, history from the parents and physical exam. Okay, so um, again, failure to thrive. The kids um, been gaining weight, but um, they've noticed that it has um, dropped off the growth curve a bit as uh, less interest in feeding becomes to kidnick with feeds. Um, and um, they're just concerned about, um, you know, overall trajectory, which uh, prompted them to go back to the cardiologist and subsequently get an echo. Okay, so the echo shows that um, you have a, a primum defect um, that's small uh, in, in the septum. Uh, the AV valve is consistent with a, a complete uh, atrioventricular septal defect. However, the uh, inlet portion of the ventricular septum is uh, completely occluded by uh, AV valve tissue. And so you um, by physiology, have a transitional type canal, and um, you have moderate left-sided AV valve insufficiency. Um, the cardiologist feels that most of this is coming from the uh, uh, cleft in the left-sided AV valve, and um, there's minimal right-sided AV valve insufficiency. Any other details you want from the echo? Um, I mean, I'd like to know about there's no signs of left ventricular output tract obstruction, no coartation. No, no left ventricular output tract obstruction, which is a good question. Um, the aortic valve looks normal. There's a normal abdominal aortic flow pattern. Uh, the arch looks fine. Okay. Um, and uh, heart function? Heart function is normal. The right side um, looks a little dilated, um, but otherwise normal. Okay. And then. Um, I probably wouldn't, 
questions. I'd probably recommend the pair at this time um, and counsel the family about um, repair the primal defect. Since the kids probably some sense of heart failure, repair the primal defect. And uh, also repair the uh, left side of the AV valve, particularly um, ongoing regurgitation leading to further uh, uh, heart function, leading to heart function decline. Are there any other things that you want to know about the left side of the valve before you jump into? Yeah, I mean, you want to kind of characterize the nature of the regurgitation. Is there's cleft? Um, is there regurgitation all to cleft? Is there adequate leaflet tissue on the valve? A lot. I mean, any surgical aspirin the echocardiogram too, which I think can be helpful in these instances to guide your repair. Um, you also kind of want to know the nature of this mysterious tissue that's closed off that BSD. And if there's a bunch of redundant tissue in the area that's contributing to, and it's good to get in. Those were my questions about the valve. Okay, good. Um, so you get you get your echocardiogram while the kid, you know, is is a little bit young. You and the cardiologist agree that given you know early signs of pulmonary hypertension, you know, he had a little bit of septal shift before they put him on oxygen, and um, you proceed with the repair. You uh, approach it again through a, a standard median sternotomy. You're bicapally cannulated. You get through a PFO after you're giving a great cardioplegia, and you're looking at your primum defect and what is a transitional canal. Okay. Um, so I want to assess whether or not there really still is a small ventricular communication, usually through the two edges of the inferior superior bridging leaflet. And I would first, um, you know, test the valve and see where that is. So you test the valve, which doesn't really give you much information because the left-sided valve um, really doesn't hold saline very well. Okay. Um, well, I probably reapproximate the superior and inferior bridging leaflets where I thought they should come together to, you know, in the middle, and uh, and also orient myself by the leading um, primary cord on the left side of the valve. I probably um, put silks around those to line those up, and then mark the edge of the cleft, um, and then. I probably place um, interrupted proline sutures in to close the cleft and then retest the valve. Okay. Um, so you test the valve and you're pretty happy after you close the cleft. The mural leaflet looks sufficient. So you, you don't you haven't made the valve stenotic. Um, you're you're comfortable with that. Um, and uh, the valve you think has minimal regurgitation. It holds saline well. Uh, the right side of valve looks fine on testing. Okay. Um, at this point, I um, proceed with uh, primum closure, and I use autologous pericardium. Uh, I'm saying that wrong. I'd use the baby's on pericardium, and um, I'd um, start um, along the crest of the septum and um, move along, uh, sewing it in a standard uh, fashion, I'm taking very, very small bites around the area of conduction around uh, um, the Corneal sinus and the tricuspid valve annulus, or the right side of the valve annulus, and I uh, take very, very thin bites there, almost, almost up into the left atrial side, and then um, I'd um, probably retest the right side of the valve after I close the primum AST and, um, and then close the atrium and see how things look on echo. Okay. So it'd be kind of hard to test the left-sided valve once you have a patch in place, but I agree that once you have the base of the patch closed, you can you can uh, test, test the left-sided right left valve and it looks okay. Um, where is the conduction system in a partial canal, a transitional canal? Um, 
I mean, it's it's kind of moved a little bit inferiorly, but in my mind, it's still in the same spot. You have the um, coronary sinus, and then you have kind of where your right side AV valve is, the um, annulus of the right side AV valve, and then it's kind of rightward inferior portion of that patch as you're sucking out. It's kind of where I think of the patch. Good. I think an easy way that I think about it is it's, it's posteriorly and inferiorly displaced, so it's actually closer to the os of the coronary sinus than normal. Um, and so as you're running that patch up, staying in the left atrial side, as you mentioned, um, keeps you away from that area. So when you're talking to the parents preoperatively, um, how do you counsel them about the risk of heart block and what's the long-term prognosis for this left side of valve? Yeah, so the if you can, I guess the child's prognosis, sorry, the child does have a risk for heart block that's not zero with this case. And uh, if, if the child needs a pacemaker, um, that's a big deal for families, and I would counsel them about that. And then secondly, I think the most common reason to re-intervene on a, a you know, transitional canal repair is for the left side of the valve going forward. In other words, needing more surgery on the heart. So I'd counsel them that if we came off with, um, you know, even mild left AV valve insufficiency, it doesn't mean that we're out of the woods at the tap valve. It may be in the future. Yeah. That's good. I mean, and there's been pretty good studies about this, and this is, again, a, a bit advanced and specialized in the congenital field um, when compared to the other two questions. But in looking at um, left-sided valve longevity, about 15 to 20% of these kids need um, additional left-sided AV valve interventions over their lifetime. And with that, um, we know that um, technical performance scores, which um, is, is kind of fancy wording for the echo at the time of discharge for children that have had these repairs, is the primary determinant of their need for future uh, interventions. And so um, a durable repair will hopefully lower that number uh, for the future. Um, Preoperatively, one of the things that um, you can pick up about the conduction system is that on EKG, the conduction axis is going to be uh, deviated to the left. Um, and so if you see a kid that you um, may not know for sure if it's a true canal based on uh, echo, which is uncommon now, but uh, that left axis deviation will give you some hint as to where the conduction system will be. Um, and that points to it being a, a bit uh, abnormal uh, in comparison to other uh, atrial septal defects. Overall, you did a nice job. I think, you know, <clears throat> for the purposes of a um, general cardiothoracic uh, left-sided AV valve uh, repair, generally cleft closure is all that's required. Um, there are you know, a complex subset of these patients, but determining the sufficiency of the mural leaflet, which is going to be your posterior leaflet in cleft closure and how much of the cleft to close is important. And another guide that can help you is the spacing of the papillary muscles. So the papillary muscles are rotated um, in canal patients and when they're closely spaced or if there's a parachute um, type papillary muscle that, will, uh, that should raise a red flag that the mural leaflet may be insufficient. And that may be a child that you wouldn't close the cleft completely out of concern that you would give them uh, stenosis. So um, you did a really nice job with all three. So hopefully this is helpful. Thank you. Great, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Stone, and thanks, Neil, for agreeing to do this. If any of you are interested um, in also doing a clinical scenarios, please reach out to the TSRA. Thanks.